Good evening, everybody, and Merry Christmas Eve to you all. It's such a joy to be here tonight. Uh, friends and family, I see folks, I almost feel like Bilbo Baggins getting ready to make a speech, but uh, uh, some of you I don't know half as well. I don't know the rest. Yeah. But uh, it's great to be together in God's house and to worship uh, this evening. As, you walk, as we walk through the, the service tonight, you're going to notice, especially if you're visiting, there's a, a lot of Old Testament uh, in the service tonight. We've been look, walking through the book of Micah during Advent this year. It's been a great place for us to land and to think about the coming king. Micah is filled with prophecies about uh, the Messiah that is to come. Uh, but you'll see that interspersed with New Testament readings as well. And we hope that you get this sense that the Bible is really all one story. Uh, telling us just the great story of God's rescue mission into this world. And we'll sing about that and talk about that and all of those things. There is a, uh, uh, there's a number in here entitled Offertory. Uh, don't reach for your wallets at that point. That's simply the name of the song. Uh, so uh, there, I just wanted to alert you to that fact. Uh, it's coming out of Micah 6, uh, verse 8, uh, so you'll see that as we come along. Can I have uh, two other housekeeping notes for you? I think most people that are coming, but you know how it is. We have a few seats in the back yet, but if you have that stray seat or three or four seats in the middle that are going to be really hard for people to get to, maybe you could just move in and, and make uh, some space on the side for them. And then the second thing is this. If you could help us out by leaving your bulletins, especially if you don't take copious notes uh, at the uh, Welcome Center on your way out, then we can reuse those for the second service. It just helps us to be a little bit steward stewardly as we go with that. It is God's house. It's God's story. It's great to be together. We have been lighting the Advent candles, hope, peace, joy, and love. They find their culmination in Jesus Christ. Uh, the Verbrays are going to come forward and light the candles this evening. I'll read from Isaiah 42, and then you can respond with the response that is there. I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know. In paths that they have not known, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light, the rough places to level ground. These are the things I do, and I do not forsake them. We remind ourselves of these truths. Our God delights in showing mercy and will not forsake us. Lord, open our eyes to see your faithfulness to us. We believe the promise of our coming Savior. Lord, turn the darkness before us into light. Let's respond by singing Light One Candle. It's printed for you in your bulletin.
Lord God, we are so grateful to be brought into this place called by you, uh, welcomed into your presence to watch, to wait, to hope, uh, to believe. Father, we know that in this place and in this world that we live in, we, we need your help to believe. We need your help to hope. And so we pray that this service tonight would truly point to the true light that brings light to every man, woman, and child. That in this service, through the songs and through the prayers, through the scriptures and through the preaching, uh, we would be reminded of Jesus Christ, the one who has come to bring light to all. We pray this all, asking for your help in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray it. Amen. In Advent, God has come down. These amazing words are from the prophet Micah uh, in chapter 1. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. And the mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will split open like wax before the fire, like waters pour down a steep place. All this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel.
from Isaiah 59. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. And a Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgressions, declares the Lord. are under your chairs. our way. God doesn't ignore injustice. He deals with it. This is from Micah chapter 3. Hear, you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know justice? You who hate the good and love the evil? Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the house a wooded height. First Kings 9. If you turn aside from following me, you or your children, and do not keep my commandments and my statutes that I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land that I have given them, and the house that I have consecrated for my name I will cast out of my sight. And Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And this house will become a heap of ruins. 
everyone passing by it will be astonished and will hiss, and they will say, why has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house? Matthew chapter 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
John chapter 2. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Lord of the lowly, the Lord reveals himself to a small people and preserves a remnant. The prophet Micah continues, chapter 5. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be the ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. 1 Corinthians 1. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. But God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, 
to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, it is, that, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Please be seated again. 
Luke 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased.
seated. The shepherd king. He's a shepherd king who rules in majesty and brings peace for the nations. Micah continues in chapter 4. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and people shall flow to it, and many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their integrity, their peace, their shalom. Oh 
God like no other. He is a God like no other, worthy of our worship and love. Micah 7. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgressions for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our inequities underfoot. You will cast all your sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Amen. I'm sure you've been paying attention. It's amazing how music has power to touch you at different places. You know, as we've been singing different things that have stood out to me that came upon a midnight clear, and ye beneath life's crushing load whose forms are bending low. It's a powerful verse there, really capturing so much of the human condition, capturing uh, maybe it's the way some of you feel tonight as you come in. The Father's plan is now revealed. We just sang that through His Son, we can be healed. We don't want to pass by these things without just stopping to reflect for a minute uh, on the hope that we have in our hearts on a night like tonight. We we come together and, and there's an exuberance. It was great to hear you talking in the sanctuary beforehand, you know, greeting old friends, seeing people. Uh, there's a joy. We anticipate maybe family celebrations. Some of you might be looking forward to some presents. Uh, there's, there's just a, a joy that comes to us at this time of year, especially on a night like tonight. But one of the things that we want to be very clear about is what the source of that joy is. And that is something that Micah has been really helping us understand. Micah, this prophet, and you've got the sense of, you know, the time and place where he was. It, it was, in many respects, a time like our day and age. There was a, it was a time of wealth in Israel. It was a time of opulence. But it was also a time where the rich got richer and the poor got poorer. There was uh, injustice in the land. There was lots of idolatry and people who lost their way and were no longer walking with their Lord. And it's in the midst of that that Micah comes and says, there's a ruler coming. He's coming out of Bethlehem, of Ephrathah. It's a small place. It's not even really uh, able to be counted as a clan. But this ruler is going to stand and he's going to shepherd his flock with the strength and the majesty of the Lord. He's going to shepherd in the name of the Lord. Micah is, in the end, very much like his name, presenting us a God 
like no other. And it's a God who is the source, truly, of any true hope and joy that we have and experience this evening. If you were around a few weeks ago, you remember that I said that Micah's name actually means who is like Yahweh. It's a conjuncture, a contraction of three, Hebrews, three Hebrew words. Uh, and he returns to that here in verse 18, where he sort of is summing up his message, and he's pointing, his, pointing the people to the true source of their hope, and he's saying, who is a God like you? Go to my name. Who is a God like you? And there are several things that we can just observe as we walk through these couple of verses. And we're going to go fast, so uh, fasten your seatbelts and pay attention. Uh, but, but do, because I think that they are good things. Notice, first, uh, he asks sort of what we could call the quintessential question, uh, the classic question. And believe me, cues are not easy to alliterate with. Uh, but uh, so it's the, the classic question, you know, who should have primary place in our hearts? Who is a God like you? Now, Micah's not proclaiming polytheism here. He's not saying there is actually more than one God. Micah knows that there is only one God, the maker of heaven and earth. He's Yahweh. He's Israel's covenant God who comes to them uh, in intimacy and love and faithfulness. We'll get to all of that in just a minute. But Micah also knows the propensity of our hearts is to make other gods. You know, in the 8th century B.C., they literally made other gods. They made things fashioned out of wood and stone, out of gold and silver and other precious metals, and they bowed down and they worshipped them, and that has gone on for centuries. But it just betrays this tendency that we have to put something else in the place of God. When we talk about idolatry often today, we don't think about necessarily things that our hands have made, but it gets very close sometimes, doesn't it? You know, with the things that money can buy, you know, our homes, uh, our cars, our possessions, our clothes, our fashion. You know, but there is also all of these ideologies that we have. You know, we feel like if I could only be loved and respected by this person, we, we have a God of approval. If I were to have this quality of life, I might have a God of comfort. You know, if, if I would be able to get mastery over this area of my life. We have a control God. Maybe if people are dependent on me and need me, you know, that, that feeds us. We have a, a, a God that loves to be a helper. Or maybe on the other side, if there is only somebody there to protect me and keep me safe, 
We have a God of being dependent. And we can go on and on and on. And note, a lot of these things aren't bad in and of themselves. They're, they're actually good things, right? I mean, it's good to want to help people. It's good to want to serve others. But when that good thing becomes an ultimate thing, when you are putting your hope and you're putting your, uh, you're putting your, your, your worth in that thing, then it has become a God. And the question is, does that God measure up to Yahweh? Does that God measure up to the God that Micah has been leading us to um, throughout the course of this book? And one of the reasons why Micah is so anxious to, to get here to the end of the book and to conclude in, in really a, an upbeat and joyful, um, you know, joyful place. If you're looking for, you know, something to hang on your walls, Micah 7, 18 to 20 uh, is a strong candidate. You know, these, these are such delightful verses because Micah presents here a God that really gets down to the root of our basic, biggest need. You know, you being liked and accepted by others, well, that may feel good. You having a love of your life, somebody to care for you, you having a certain degree of security or comfort, all of these things, they can touch you in a certain way, but they're not your biggest need. They are not the core of where meaning is found in your life. And notice how Micah deals with this. He deals with this by stating uh, what I've called a perilous problem. You know, it, it, is, a, it is a problem that, that puts you in mortal and eternal peril. Maybe you didn't want to talk about that on Christmas Eve. But I want to suggest to you that Christmas Eve is not nearly as delightful if we're not honest. You know, if we are somehow pretending that everything is okay and we're not dealing with our biggest need. If I go to the doctor and, and, and I'm suffering from cancer, I don't want a cure for gout. You know, I, I, I want to deal with my biggest need, my biggest need is what is putting me in mortal peril. And notice, in talking about the greatness of God, I think five times, three different words, Micah talks about iniquities, sin, and transgression. And he is saying to us, like, this is our biggest need. This is our biggest problem. We have a heart that wants to elevate other gods. We have a heart that wants to pursue our own way. We have a heart that wants to seek pleasure the way that we doggone want to seek it. And we don't want anybody to tell us how to walk. We don't want anybody to tell us how to live. We don't want anybody to tell us that we're doing something wrong or that we're not uh, thriving in a particular way. We want to do it our own way. But here's the problem. And Isaiah, who was a contemporary of 
Micah, I think, captures this very clearly in chapter 59, verse 2, where he, using the same language, says this, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your iniquities, that desire that we have to go our own way, to, to not, you know, follow God's word, to not walk in the ways that God has designed us. You know, he's, he's made us, he's given us sort of an owner's manual and a blueprint for how to live our lives, and, and we want to go off script. We'd rather play jazz at that point than follow the music as it's written on the page. But Isaiah and Micah and others are very clear when we do that, when we do that, we have a problem because we are separated. Our iniquities separate us from God. I think of Augustine. Some of you know that name. Um, he, was a, uh, he was a writer, teacher, uh, 3rd, 4th century A.D. And Augustine very much went his own way. Uh, he, he, was, he was strong in his pursuit of the flesh. We'll just leave it at that. Uh, and his mother prayed for him. Uh, she wanted him to walk in the right path. Uh, but Augustine wouldn't until he did. Until God got a hold of his heart, until Augustine repented of his sin, of his iniquity, of his transgression. And he said this, our hearts are restless until they rest in thee, O Lord. He realized that all of that self-pursuit was separating him from God. And there was a restlessness uh, there was a, a longing, there was a lostness. Maybe some of you are feeling that tonight. Maybe on, a, uh, on an ultimate level, you've, you've never been at peace with God. Maybe on a, um, we'll call it a, a circumstantial level. You know, maybe you're in a particular time in your life where you know the Lord and, and you've heard his call on your life, but you are in a period of time when you are determined to walk in your own way and do your own thing. But you know that existential angst that comes with doing that. You have a restless heart. Some of you know the, the name Deion Sanders. For those of you who aren't that familiar with Augustine, you might be more familiar with Deion Sanders. Deion Sanders, Pro Football Hall of Famer. Uh, he was very notable for being a two-sport athlete. He played uh, professional football and professional baseball on a high level. Uh, he's the only person ever to play in a World Series and in a Super Bowl. Uh, and he did very well in both. Uh, but at the height of his popularity in 1997, where he had everything, believe me, everything that you can think of from a hedonistic, sensualistic standpoint, he had it all. Uh, but he wasn't happy. Uh, the night after winning a Super Bowl, he left all the parties, went home to his bed. The next day, he went out and bought a $250,000 Lamborghini. Uh, but he said... Uh, it wasn't a week. I hadn't even driven it a mile before I realized, no, that's not it. 
That's not what I'm looking for. It's got to be something else. I'm so hungry. He talked about that restlessness that way. And you know what he did? He drove that car off a cliff attempting to kill himself. 30, 40 foot drop, barely a scratch on the car or him. Uh, failed attempt uh, at suicide there. But God woke him up. And he has since repented of his hedonism. He surrendered his life to Christ. Uh, he has notably said, I was the fastest man in the NFL, but I couldn't outrun God. There was a hunger there that could only be filled when that separation was eliminated. When the separation that existed between him and God, because of his iniquity, his own hard-headedness, his own hard-heartedness, and some of you know what I'm talking about. You know, until that was repented of and he went back, but there is a solution, and it's a satisfactory solution. I, I use that term. Uh, I use that term intentionally, and, and I think you'll understand why. We come to a God, and, and this is where it gets so good, right? It gets so exciting because we come to a God in the midst of all of our rebellion. And some of you have been there either as a child or as a parent, and you've come back, and there has been a reconciliation there, and you realize that there is a love in that relationship that is magnanimous. There is a love in that relationship that is... Uh, that, that is truly beautiful, and that's what we see with God. We come to God who is marked by, note here what the prophet says, he does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He again will have compassion on us. He'll tread our iniquities underfoot, cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham. There is a delight here in the heart of God to show compassion and to cast away the iniquities, the guilt, the transgression, all of those things that have separated us from God. I mean, that is truly, I mean, when the angel says, I come to give you good news, I come to give you glad tidings of great joy that shall be for all the people, that angel wasn't lying. This is good news. This is the best news. Because there's not a one of us in here that is not marked by iniquity, transgression, sin, guilt. We are all marked by these things. But what finally holds the story for those who will come back in humility to Yahweh, to their God, what finally holds the key is that we come to a God who has an expansive heart. We come to a God who, who will not retain his anger forever. He casts our sin into the depths of the sea. Now, that's a popular message. Uh, and and we, we need to hear it. We need to embrace it. Uh, this idea that God, if you go to him, he will automatically forgive you. And he will. 
Uh, absolutely, God is in the business of forgiveness. Again, when the scriptures talk about, you know, the lost sheep that is brought back and the angels rejoicing in heaven, that is a true story. You know, that happens. God rejoices. He loves to forgive sins. But what I want you to see here is that there is a cost to that. You know, when it, when it says that he treads our iniquity underfoot, we're meant to see the whole story. We're, we're meant to see all the way back to the garden. When Adam and Eve first took that fruit and, and plunged humanity on this wild career of crazy sin and rebellion against God and separation from our Creator. When Adam and Eve first took that fruit and their rebellion and their hard-heartedness and said, it's going to be our way and not your way, God. God came to them and He said, you know what? There's going to be enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, and you are going to strike at its heel. But the seed of the woman who will come, the Savior that Micah points us to in, in uh, chapter 5, verse 2, the one that will come out of Bethlehem, that same Jesus Christ who was born in a manger was born for the purpose of stomping on the head of the serpent and treading our sin underfoot at great cost to himself as his body was broken and as his blood was shed for us at great cost to himself the Savior came to do exactly what Micah had promised and what we needed most. This is why we light the Christ candle. This is why we can actually have hope tonight. It's not just some sentimental hope. Families getting together. You came from Minnesota. You came from Florida. You came from Alaska. You came all that way. It's not merely that. Those things are great. But our hope, our hope is the fact that Jesus Christ came to tread our iniquities underfoot, that they might truly be cast into the sea, and that they might be removed from us as far as the east is from the west. Good tidings, great joy, that shall be for all the people. And I want you to note one last thing. God does not do this grudgingly. This is, this is so... This is amazing. You know, God's delight, it says, is steadfast love. God's delight, what brings him joy, if we can speak of that anthropomorphically, you know, from a human perspective, you know, what brings God joy is to see this rescue mission accomplished. What brings him joy is to see those who are on this headlong pursuit towards destruction to be snatched away as a brand from the fire, right? And to be rescued and to stand whole. 
You know, it's part of who he is. It's his hesed. Uh, that's that term, steadfast love. Those of you who are familiar, students of the Bible, will recognize when God reveals himself, he reveals the core of who he is. Hesed is one of those terms. It's difficult to describe or to define from Hebrew to English, but it's this idea of steadfast love. It often gets translated that way. You know, God is faithful. Jacob, unfaithful. Abraham, unfaithful. Israelites, unfaithful. Augustine, unfaithful. Deion Sanders, unfaithful. Andrew Vandermoss, unfaithful. Fill in your own name, unfaithful. God, faithful. Always. He always keeps his promises for mercy and for justice. He always is there when we call. He is always faithful. And that is what Micah is pointing the people to. And incidentally, I need to tell you, Micah is not like a lot of the other prophets. People actually listen to Micah. Uh, and they repented, the Judeans, uh, the, the, northern, or the southern kingdom uh, in particular, under the leadership of King Hezekiah, they repented, and God spared them for another 100, 150 years. You know, they, they listen because God is faithful. And when we return to him, you think of the words of James, if we confess our sins, what does it say? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is faithful and he delights, he delights in, in showing mercy. This uh, past summer, our oldest son was married. And uh, just in preparing for that sermon, I, I came across a, uh, a message from Jonathan Edwards. Uh, Jonathan Edwards was an American preacher. And, and he said this, and, and see if you can get this, because I think it captures this delight that the Lord has in us. And I, and I want you, I want you to think about this and to contemplate it, to use Christmas words. I, I want you to you know, ponder these in your heart. The creation of the world seems to be especially for this end, that the eternal Son of God might attain a spouse towards whom he was fully exercised the infinite benevolence of his nature, and to whom he might, as it were, open and air forth all that immense fountain of condescension, love, and grace that was in his heart. This is who our God is. He is a God who delights in showing mercy. And it seems like the, the whole story that we're in, this whole crazy, wonderful story that we come here on December 24, 2019, this whole crazy, wonderful story, is a stage where God can open up and air forth all of the love that is in his heart towards a sinner who would repent and find themselves at the foot of the cross. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. I, I hope it is wonderful. I hope that all of your celebrations are blessed. I hope you find peace where there is tension and strife. But most of all, most of all, I hope 
that your hearts would be soft to receive, to receive the best news that there ever could be. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this word. We thank you for uh, the, the wonderful passage that you've given us here at the conclusion of Micah. We think about uh, the writer of the Ecclesiastes who says, Now all have been heard, and here is the conclusion of the matter. You are a God who delights in mercy and steadfast love. You will not retain your anger forever. And so, Lord, we pray that you would, you would find uh, each and every one of us this Christmas season rejoicing in your character that calls uh, people like us, rebels like us, uh, into a right relationship with you. Pray for each family and person represented here. Pray that around their tables uh, there would be much talk of grace and that there would be a celebration that lights the fire for all to see. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Luke 2. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Uh, we'll stand together. We have some folks coming ready to light the light from the Christ candle and pass that around, and uh, we will sing. Let's stand together.
As you go out into this night, go with the blessing of the angels, fear not. I bring you good news of great joy that shall be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, the Savior. He is Christ the Lord. And our hearts respond with glory to God in the highest. And heaven responds with on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Go in that strength and in that peace. Amen.